You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. have your Bibles or electronic devices open to 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to read two passages there from 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to read verse 1 through 5 and then 26 through 30. First Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. And then we'll turn over verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said." If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of, the, of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good evening. Good to see you. Welcome to Mercy View. If you are visiting with us tonight, just want to... Uh, Echo Johns, welcome to you. So glad that you've joined us. Thankful that you are here. Uh, you are joining us at an interesting moment in the life of our church as we're talking uh, about um, the gifts of the Spirit. And actually, what we've been doing uh, for uh, really since the beginning of the year is looking at the ways in which the Holy Spirit desires to move powerfully in the life of an individual, but also our church. And for the last few weeks, we've been doing really a series within a series, looking at the gifts of the Spirit and looking at all the gifts of the Spirit. But the last couple of weeks in particular, we have been talking about the much talked about, debated uh, category of manifestation, or some might call them miraculous gifts. You heard John just say that we are a continuationist church, and he is right. That means different things to different people. Um, if you want to learn more about where we're coming from on some of that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the last few weeks' uh, sermons at mercyview.com. Uh, but uh, as we've said through this series, if we can serve you as leaders here, 
uh, even offline, talking with you personally over coffee or lunch. Um, we would love to do that to just help you understand where we are coming from. Now, we also recognize that there are a variety of of faith traditions and backgrounds and experiences that people are coming from into this discussion. And so what we're trying to do is to ease in 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 talking about these things to serve you. And whether you uh, agree with us or not, what we hope you uh, will trust in as we express our heart about these, these gifts is that we are doing our best to look at the Bible and let the Bible speak to us plainly and let it, let it direct us. Um, there are good brothers and sisters who we're on the same team with, uh, who we love, who uh, wouldn't agree necessarily with some of our conclusions, and that's okay. Um, we're still, uh, we still have the same purpose uh, as a church as they do. We want to make much of Jesus, and we want to see Jesus made known to those around us. But uh, uh, this is one of those those things that uh, uh, within the church world, um, there is some, some differences of opinion on. We recognize that. But we, what we hope most of all that you sense from us is our desire to be as true as we can uh, to what we believe the Scriptures teach. So I just said for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this category of the manifestation gifts. Again, uh, if you are curious about those those giftings and how we're thinking about those here, I would encourage you to go back and look at those. But tonight, we are actually beginning uh, to look at probably what's considered the most talked about, the most debated, the most maybe even controversial uh, gifts. And uh, we hope tonight, in our limited amount of time, that we can uh, dispel some of the misunderstanding about that or, or, or some of, of the way that's even used uh, in, in ways that aren't helpful, aren't biblical. Um, but we want to really give you a sense tonight of the way that we think about both tongues and prophecy. So uh, again, if you're visiting with us tonight, you've kind of come in on a family meeting. This is an opportunity for us to talk to our partners about what this looks like. Um, we're grateful that you're here. Uh, we hope this is helpful to you even as you are visiting with us um, tonight. As we do that, uh, I just want to give you a heads up. We are going to probably run a smidge long. I'm going to try to be as efficient as I possibly can. Um, but we are going to get through a lot of information tonight. Uh, I've heard people say, you know, in, in moments like this, it's like drinking from a fire hose. You're probably going to feel like that tonight. I apologize in advance, but we just have a lot to, to try to cover. As we do that, I want to invite you to really see one big thing as we talk about these gifts of, of prophecy and tongues, and it's this. The gifts of prophecy and tongues are supernatural occurrences of revelation, worship, and praise that edify both the gathered church and the individual. Let me just say that again. The gifts of prophecy and tongues are supernatural occurrences of revelation and worship that edify both the gathered church and the individual. So if you have your Bibles... Or electronic devices, keep them open to 1 Corinthians 14. That's primarily where we're going to be this evening. I'm going to reference some other things. Uh, you won't have to turn there, but uh, I'll explain when we get to those moments. But mainly 1 Corinthians 14. Um, now, I want to structure our time really intentionally since we uh, do have quite a bit to get through. Here's what I would like to do. I would like for us to uh, spend some time on defining uh, what tongues and prophecy are. And as we define those gifts... 
um, I want to address some questions that typically are asked about those gifts. And then at the end of our time, I want to just make one big application uh, as it relates to these gifts, um, in particular in how we express those gifts uh, in uh, gathered settings, uh, corporate settings. So first, definitions. Let's begin with tongues. I'm just going to give you a definition and then we're going to unpack it. Here's, Here's the definition. The gift of tongues is an unknown heavenly language that is a form of prayer and or praise that is primarily meant for private personal edification. Let me just repeat that again. There's a really important word in this definition that I want to make sure that you hear. The gift of tongues is an unknown heavenly language that is a form of prayer and praise that is primarily, okay, so not exclusively, but primarily for private personal edification. So before we really unpack that, we need to address uh, one of the big questions as we think about what tongues are, and that is what in the world is going on then in Acts chapter 2? If you're familiar with the story of Acts chapter 2, we see uh, this uh, amazing event in, in the life of the church called Pentecost. And one of the things that we see is that, uh, that there is uh, languages spoken uh, in worship, and most people believe in worship and praise, uh, so that others that are there uh, in their own native language could understand the way the believers were worshiping and, and praising God. And uh, it's a much longer discussion I mean, really, it would be great for us to be able to unpack all of Acts 2 uh, with you. Um, but what we would like to say as we think about that and, and sort of get our heads wrapped around at a high level, what's happening in Acts chapter 2 and how that relates to what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 uh, is to say that what happened in Acts 2 was a miraculous work of God. Absolutely. No question about that. But what we would say It was a miraculous work of languages, but not tongues. Now, that may sound like we're splitting hairs there a little bit, and I understand that, but um, the reason why we want to say it that way is because of what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we actually see that there is really only one kind of, quote, tongue in the New Testament, like granted, look, when people speak in another language, they're using their tongues. But we're talking about what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 in talking about the gift of tongues. We do not see that same gift being given in Acts chapter 2. And actually, we would go even a little bit further and say what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is the miraculous work or blessing that God gives in a moment in time <clears throat> for uh, languages. So... Acts 2, then, is really the only text in the New Testament, too, where we find foreign languages not previously known by the speaker being spoken and understood by the native speakers in their own language. So, we think that to call that tongues is to conflate what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. What you may hear sometimes for continuationists is that there are two kinds of tongues in the New Testament, the Acts 2 version and the 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 version. We would want to amend that and say, no, there is actually just one kind of gift of tongues that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Well, we see in Acts 2 
is, yes, a miraculous work of God, but it is not a gift of tongues. Now, in fact, um, as we're talking about the spiritual gifts, and we're talking about this category of the manifestation gifts, um, we would want to say that it's better, actually, for us to uh, see that the standard bearer by which we are to understand the gift of tongues is 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And here's why we're saying that as well. Um, we, we know that, uh, that in Acts 2 there is uh, this idea of languages that, that are being spoken uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, a way that the, the speaker doesn't know what, what they're speaking. But to use Acts 2 as a way to understand what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we think is unhelpful. Uh, because really they're two different things. And so if we're going to talk about the gift of tongues, we need to look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 to understand what Paul is getting at. I hope that that's clear. I, I, I'm trying to say it in some different ways. Now, let me just say something real quick. This doesn't mean, we don't believe, that God can't still imbue believers with the blessing of languages for the purpose of evangelism, for example, particularly those that are on uh, mission somewhere in the world, frontier mission, for example, in a place that they don't speak the language. God is doing that. He, he, he can do that. But 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is really what we need to look at if we want to understand what the gift of tongues is all about. So that's what we want to do tonight. Now, related to this, you might wonder about Paul's comment in 1 Corinthians 14. Look, look with me, if you would, at verses 10 and 11. Paul does seem to make a connection between tongues and earthly languages there, at least on the surface, right? But what Paul is doing here is using an analogy. And the point of the analogy is that tongues function like foreign languages, not that tongues are foreign languages. Paul's point is that the hearer cannot understand uninterpreted tongues any more than he can understand the one speaking a foreign language. So if tongues really were a foreign language, there would be no need for an analogy, right? So Paul, Paul's statement here, if you even look at verse 18, that he speaks in tongues more than you all, I think is evidence that tongues are not foreign languages. Like if you know foreign languages that foreigners could understand, as in Pentecost, why would Paul speak more than all the Corinthians in private when no one would understand? Rather than in church where foreign visitors could understand. That's a little thick. I understand that may be something that you need to go back and listen to and, and ponder a little bit. But we've got to keep moving here. But uh, if Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is the standard bearer for us to understand the gift of tongues, I want us to look there again. In verse 2, Paul views tongues as a form of prayer or praise but in a language that the speaker does not understand. Back in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, he calls uh, it the tongue of angels. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, tongues is speaking to God, not men. It's, it's uttering mysteries in the spirit. And he even uses the word, Paul even uses the word, tongues are unintelligible. Now, some have questioned the idea that if tongues are those things, particularly that last point of being unintelligible, um, is that really what we, we want? Is, that, is it really, in fact, Paul says that our spirit prays, but our mind is unfruitful. 
um, when, it, when it relates to the, the tongue's form of, of, of prayer. And that, it's a fair question to say, why would we want our minds to be unfruitful? Some point to Jesus' words in Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about prayer, and he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. But if what Paul meant by unfruitful was heaping up empty phrases, you would think that he would then forbid speaking in tongues altogether. But he doesn't. In short, Paul is describing a spiritual experience that is beyond the grasp of his mind. If, if you have experienced this gift, you know that it's an experience, uh, a spiritual experience beyond the grasp of your uh, mind, but you've also experienced it was profoundly profitable. He believed, Paul, that it wasn't absolutely necessary for an experience to be completely rationally cognitive for it to be spiritually beneficial and glorifying to God. Now, an important thing to remember here is that Paul is saying that the gift of tongue in this uh, paradigm that we're talking about it tonight it actually is okay, and it's a, good, it's a good thing if it edifies you. In, in verse 3, Paul says that the one who speaks in tongues builds himself up, right? Now, some who uh, are either cessationists or uh, struggle with this particular expression of the gift in that um, somehow our mind can be unfruitful or it's, it's, it's a supernatural experience that's beyond the grasp of our own mind, some would say what Paul is doing here is making a negative statement about speaking in tongues. In, in, in other words, Paul's saying uh, the person who speaks in tongues builds himself up as if it's a selfish thing or, or, or uh, being you know, puffed up and proud of this gift. But, but I, I, that's not what's happening here. Paul is making a positive statement that what happens when someone speaks in tongues is that it can edify them. It can encourage them. In Jude 20, we're actually commanded to edify ourselves by praying in the Spirit. So I want you to think about it this way. Let me just give you another like, example. When we study the Bible and pray to edify ourselves, are we, is that okay? <laughs> like, is it okay that a, a byproduct of what happens in that is that we are encouraged, that we are edified? Sure. That's not the ultimate purpose of why we're reading the Scripture or praying, right? We're, we're reading the Scripture, we're praying to get more of God. But a byproduct is that we are also edified. I hope that you are here tonight to listen to this sermon for edification. Every gift of the Spirit either directly or indirectly edifies as its user. That's not wrong unless self-edification becomes an end and of itself. The fact that the ultimate purpose of gifts is the common good and making much of Jesus does not preclude secondary effects like edification. But I want you to notice something else here. It seems that tongues was a staple experience in Paul's private devotional life in verses 18 through 19. Let me just read those again. Paul says this. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. By the way, for someone uh, who, who thinks that 
uh, uh, Paul is somehow a cessationist himself, it's really hard to get around that particular verse. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, there's a lot happening in that verse, but let me just make a comment here. That last statement is Paul's somewhat exaggerated way of saying he almost never speaks in tongues in community, in, in, in gathered contexts. Now, if in church the Apostle Paul virtually never exercises this gift, yet speaks in tongues more frequently and fluently and fervently than anyone else, where is he doing that? Do you understand the question? It must have been in private. In verse 28, Paul even gives instruction on what to do in the absence of interpretation. Right? He says that the tongue speaker speaks to himself and to God. Where? Well, given the explicit prohibition of uninterpreted tongues, which we haven't addressed yet totally, but that is a prohibition, it's a guidance that Paul gives. You can't have tongues uninterpreted. It seems that Paul had in mind that prayer in tongues in private are appropriate, can happen. In other words, a context other than the gathering of the church. Now, we do have to deal with, though, Paul's instruction, we just said this, on tongues being interpreted, right? He actually says that that's a gift as well, the gift of interpreting tongues, and particularly, we need to deal with it as we think about it in gathered community, in contexts like a worship gathering or an MC. This is why we just said that tongues is primarily, when we defined it, but not exclusively, a form of prayer and praise meant for private personal edification. Because it's, it's uh, not exclusively for private, we have to deal with, well, what happens in the public setting? And this is what Paul says. Paul says, I, I, I'm making allowance in the gathered church for tongues to take place. But it has to be worked out in a certain way. He says, no more than three per gathering, and they must speak in turn. In other words, not at the same time. And they must be interpreted by the speaker. Look at verse 13 on that point. Or someone with the gift of interpretation that points people towards God. Again, likely in the form of prayer or praise or or expressions of gratitude to God. Now, we just said that primarily tongues is meant for private personal edification. So you might be wondering um, about how what we just said about the public expression of tongues, how that works and how that's going to work here at Mercy View and, and how those things go together. And we're going to tackle that here in just a second. Stay tuned. It's really going to come up in our big application at the end of this evening. But I want to go ahead and move on. We need to look at the, the next gift that we said we were going to look at, the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. Let me just define it for us. The gift of prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation for the purpose of upbuilding that should be weighed by God's word and submitted to leadership. Let me just say that again. The gift of prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation for the purpose of upbuilding that should be weighed by God's word and leadership. 
And maybe, I would, I mean, I, you know what, I would, I'm going to expand that just a, a bit and just say it should be weighed by God's word, leadership, and the community. And you'll, you'll hear us say that again here in just a moment. Now, let me just say this real quick. It, it needs to be said that the gift in the New Testament called prophecy uh, is different from Old Testament prophecy. A prophet's primary function in the Old Testament was to serve as God's megaphone, right? As God's representative or ambassador by communicating God's infallible word to his people. We actually see that word written down in scripture. Um, That makes it infallible. True prophets never spoke on their own authority. They never shared their personal opinions when they did that, but they delivered the message that God himself gave them. How is that different then than the gift of prophecy in the New Testament? Well, the gift of prophecy in the New Testament is the speaking forth of human words, something that God spontaneously brings to your mind. Now, spontaneous doesn't mean random. It actually just means supernatural. It means God supernaturally is bringing something to the mind of, of, of someone who then speaks forth in human words that, that, that prophecy. So, it must be said that the gift of prophecy is not based on a hunch or an intuition or an educated guess of yours or, or even sanctified wisdom. And, and hang with me here. Those gifted in prophecy speaking forth that word Sometimes it can be mixed with fallibility. You guys know what that means, right? It could be mixed with error. Now, what does it mean when we say that the gift of prophecy can sometimes be mixed with fallibility? You might ask, how can God, who is infallible, reveal something that is fallible? He can't. He doesn't. So something we need to remember when we talk about the gift, the New Testament gift of prophecy that is different from the Old Testament, it always has three elements, the the New Testament gift of prophecy. Here's the first element. There is the revelation itself. Whatever God discloses to a human being in their mind is free of error, always. God is, he never commits an error. It is true in all of its parts. It's completely devoid of any falsehood. But the second piece, second element is the interpretation of what has been disclosed or the attempt to understand its meaning. And here's where we begin to see how there can be fallibility involved, right? Our interpretation of revelation can be um, misunderstood. But there's also a third piece here, and this is also you can begin to see where fallibility can come in here, is that there is the application of the interpretation. Where fallibility comes in is that that those last couple of categories, we might misinterpret or misapply what God has disclosed. So the next natural question is, how can a gift that is potentially fallible be a blessing or or at worst dangerous, right? I mean, that's, that's fair. And a comparison of prophecy with the gift of teaching might help us a little bit here. We might wish that God had promised to guarantee that our interpretation and application of his word, the scriptures, would be always accurate. 
So what should we do when it isn't? What happens when we misinterpret or misimply God's word? Should we denounce teaching and insist that a gift so obviously susceptible to error and abuse be banned from church life? Of course not. Like teaching, prophecy is also based on a revelation from God. But the gift of prophecy does not guarantee the infallible transmission of that revelation. And by transmission, I mean the the human side of transmitting the, the prophecy that was given to them. So if teaching can be prone to fallibility, but can edify and build up the church, why can't prophecy as well? Prophecy can also be good for edification as well, even though at times it may suffer from both misinterpretation and misapplication. So what does that mean? That means that as we begin to pursue this, there are times where uh, this particular gift will be mixed with fallibility. It will be mixed with uh, uh, folks will miss it. Um, But that does not mean that we throw it out. It means we keep working together to try best how to, to do it well. The idea of fallibility actually also points us to the very last part of the definition that you heard me read earlier. We said that, that prophecy should be weighed or tested uh, in, in the context of what God's Word already says, but also in a community of people, in, 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 the, in a local church, which includes the people that they are connected with in community, maybe like a missional community or a D group, but also the leaders in that group or in that church. Remember, 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Because of the possibility of imperfection in this gift of prophecy, whether done in a corporate setting or in a private setting, one-on-one, it must be weighed or tested. That is to say, we must sift the prophetic word and identify what is of God and what is of man, what is human and thus fallible. And here's the deal. Paul would not have commanded this sort of assessment, I believe, if all prophetic words were infallible. Does that make sense? So so what's the testing? What is the weighing? Let me just run through this real quick. First, it must have absolute conformity with the Scripture. You've heard us say this. When we talk about the manifestation gifts, God never reveals himself through the Spirit in a way that contradicts his word. It is always word and spirit. But second, it must be for the purpose of edification and upbuilding. The word, the prophecy, must be for the the work of edification and upbuilding. It also must be motivated by love. And and lastly, uh, in the case particularly of like corporate uh, settings, it must be done in the context of an accountable community of people, again, which includes leaders. We're going to talk again more about some of that process here in just a moment as we look at our big application. So what can God reveal in a prophecy? What kinds of things? Well, I think there's a few things that we see in the Scriptures. Um, one thing could be a passage of Scripture that applies especially at this moment in time in a person's life, a word of exhortation a word of, of an invitation to some ministry opportunity, a, a guidance maybe for decision-making. Uh, it may be a revelation of an illness that God intends to heal in someone else. We see this in Acts 14. It may even be that a prophetic word concerns a spiritual gift that God intends to impart to a person. But we must want to, to say this. 
we must be quick to say that a prophecy is meant for upbuilding. It's meant for encouragement of the one receiving the prophecy. This is why Paul says in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14, the one who prophesies, what? Edifies the church. This is why any kind of prophecy that discourages people, that, that demoralizes them, that disheartens them, that scares them, um, that is not the gift of prophecy that, that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 14. New Testament prophecy should motivate, animate, strengthen the one who is receiving the prophecy. Lastly, let's just address this. Who can prophesy? Who's eligible for this gift? Anyone. And, and I want to actually say it this way. Both men and women, because Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, towards the end of 1 Corinthians 14, uh, has some language about what, what women can't do as it relates to prophecy. And so I think it's helpful to, to clarify this real quick. I hope this is actually an encouragement to you, uh, women that are here this evening. Clearly, women can prophesy. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 21, 1 Corinthians 11, we see examples of that or encouragement towards that. But if that is true, what does Paul mean in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, when he says, let the women keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak? Let me just say, that verse gets abused badly, misinterpreted badly. Let me tell you right now what this verse means. It actually has everything to do with the gift of prophecy, okay? Um, Many have taken this and expanded this in really harmful and unhelpful ways for women in the church. And I, if you have been hurt by that, I just want to say to you, I am sorry for that. So ho hopefully maybe I can help set the record straight and free some of you up a little bit here. Um, because this is, this is what's happening here. The, 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 the thing that Paul is talking about here is Paul is prohibiting women from participating in the passing of judgment upon a prophetic word. Evidently, he believed that this entailed an exercise of authority that was restricted to men only. Prophecy, unlike teaching, does not entail the exercise of, of authoritative positioning within the church. But this is in no way restricts the gift of prophecy to only men. The gift of prophecy is to be pursued by both men and women. It, is, it also must be said that no matter who desires to prophesy, Paul is setting up the orderly expression of prophecy, right? By saying two or three prophets should speak, not at the same time. So the, the, the point here that, that I want you to see is what, what Paul is talking about is um, those who pass judgment on the prophetic word. That's restricted to men because of the authoritative nature of, of it. But, but the actual gifting of prophecy, it's available for both men and women. We see examples of this in the New Testament. So let's guess, this gets us back to the one big idea that I shared with you at the top of our message, and it was this. The gifts of prophecy in tongues are supernatural occurrences of revelation and worship that edify both the gathered church and the individual. I know we're going long, so let's, let's land the plane here. Here's the one big application. Some of you have asked over the last few weeks, so how is this, how are the gifts uh, these manifestations are supposed to work themselves out here. And I hope that uh, you've been keeping track. If you have more questions like that, um, we can tackle those in the town hall. But, but let me try to do that um, real quickly at a high level for these two gifts in particular. In many ways, 
as the leaders of Mercy View have looked at the passages that we're looking at tonight, unlike the other spiritual gifts, there almost seems to be a symbiotic relationship between the two gifts, tongues and prophecy. And what I mean by that is you almost can't talk about prophecy without talking about tongues, and you can't talk about tongues without talking about prophecy. And you can see, see what I mean in this, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, and Paul kind of bounces back and forth between the two. And remember, he's talking to a local church, and he's trying to help them and instruct them and correct them. So the, at the risk of oversimplification, here's where we've landed on this relationship as leaders here at Mercy View, particularly in gathered context for community. Paul seems to be prioritizing the pursuit and expression of prophecy over tongues in corporate spaces. Or said another way, Paul seems to say that prophecy is the greater or higher gift. You see this in his language all throughout chapter 14. This, by the way, in no way diminishes the gift of tongues, but he does seem to be prioritizing it, particularly in gathered settings. That's, that's what we want you to see in chapter 14. Because see, what was happening in the, in the Corinthian church was they were placing more emphasis on the gift of tongues, making it a mark of greater spirituality. Like if you spoke in tongues, you were on varsity, right? If you didn't, JV, that kind of uh, thought. But what Paul is saying here is to seek prophecy rather than uninterpreted tongues is the greater gift because, and this is key, it really is the thing that truly edifies other people because it's intelligible. It's understood. So what will that be? What will that look like here at Mercy View? What will be your experience of that here at Mercy View? First, it's likely that you will experience and encounter the gift of prophecy more often, and again, at the risk of saying this, almost extensively, in gathered contexts, whether that's an MC or a corporate gathering. Second, for those seeking the gift of prophecy, or you maybe already know that you have this gift, we want to say to you that we want to provide spaces for this. But here's where we are starting. We, we want to say it this way, especially because, again, a lot of us are coming from different places. Um, we are not interested in going from zero to 100 on this, this uh, at Mercy View. We want to begin to um, uh, move into uh, both understanding and expressing these gifts in ways that we all can um, affirm and, and appreciate. And so really what we want to do uh, for the next few months, probably through the end of the year, is just a few things. One is, Lord willing, we're going to be able to continue to expand this time in, in, in our worship gathering. Um, if you're new to us at Mercy View, we, we usually hang out actually longer than we, we, we've done in, during this time of, of pandemic. Um, and, and one of the things that we're grieving is the, the fact that we aren't able to do communion every week. Uh, but in the past, what we've done during our time of communion is had uh, what, what's called a, a prayer team available to pray for you. What we're thinking is, as we move forward, is to transition that team to, to continue to pray, but really call it a, a ministry team. And this is going to be a space for folks who are desiring to really pray for our people um, and, and even express some of this gifting in a way that's biblical uh, in that particular space. So we're excited about that. And if that's something that sounds interesting to you, one of the things that we're going to be doing in the months to come is providing training as it relates to that. So that's one of the outworkings practically. 
Another thing that you're going to be hearing from, from Ryan, our deacon for community, is how this begins to look in uh, the missional community setting. Some of the best places for us to work this stuff out is in those smaller groups. And so uh, I know that you, if you're a missional community leader already, you've already begun to hear some of this. But over the, the rest of this year, we're going to continue to try to serve you and help you um, figure out as it relates in particular to prophecy. How does that work itself out in a, in a missional community? Another thing I just want to put on your radar is uh, likely in the late summer, fall, early fall, we are going to have an equip group uh, over uh, really all of these manifestation gifts so that you can continue to learn, be trained. And if you, you know, if you're desiring to um, see if you're gifted in this or, or um, find ways to, to use this gift, we want to use that space to do that. And so uh, just stay tuned on that. We're, we're putting the plans together for that. Um, again, late summer, uh, early fall. As we conclude this series within a series, I just want to say one last thing. And I want to remind you, we actually have one more week of this series next week. We're going to look at the way in which the Spirit animates mission uh, in our life. It's a great place for us to end this series. But let's just let's remind ourselves why we're even talking at length about the spiritual gifts. We said it at the top of our time. We want God to be free to move among us. And we've, we have spent more time talking about the manifestation gifts, but that in no way is meant to elevate those of the, uh, over the other gifts that you, you may have, that we have among us. What we are desiring is that the three legs of the gift stool, right, ministry, motivation, uh, uh, manifestation, are in play here at Mercy View. Because we want the Spirit to move. We want more of Jesus among us. And we believe we're in need of that. We want Jesus to be public, made public here among us. We want that to happen for our own sake, for our own edification, for our own upbuilding, for the common good of this church. But we also want it because we want people, uh, the watching world, to look at that and go, man, I want in on that. That's real. That's where real life is at. That, that's, where I, that's what I want to be a part of. I, we want that more than anything. So we're, we're talking about these gifts, not because it's to make much of us and how great we are and how gifted we are. It's to make much of Jesus. So I hope that you hear that heart, even as we've talked uh, about these gifts. We want Jesus to go public among us. That is our prayer. Let me pray for us, and we'll conclude in our, our time here this evening. God, thank you so much.